Welcome to the Auditorium, a portal to the fringes of culture. Hello? Lance, Andrew? Dave's pitch black. Daddy, why is there no light in? Ow! Jeez, who put that collection of highly delicate glassware there? Nightmare. Oh, God. This studio. What the? Who puts wind chimes in a recording That's the last thing you need in a recording studio. God, this dark is surprisingly difficult to get. Ah! Ah! What's that? Get... Ah! There's a cat in a box. What the? This studio's gone mental. Right, I'm just going to edge along the side here. Edge along. Oh, there we go. There's a seat. Dave, anybody? Oh, God, there's a, a funny smell. It smells a bit like depression. What's that? Mmm, let me... Oh, taste of... Oh, disappoint... Disappointment, yeah, it's a veggie burger. Mmm. Oh, that's not very good. Hello? Oh, Dave, there you are. You Hello. Know, what, what's happened to the lights? They've all just gone. It's completely... It must be something to do with the eclipse. I don't know. Anyway, you're late, by the way. Oh, yeah, watch out. Yeah, that's... Uh, is the cat all right in that box? Is, it... is that a cat? Well, it was a cat. Uh... Seems to be dead. Dave. I didn't I didn't touch it. Well, something did. Oh. Mm. Oh. oh yeah, that's the wind chimes as well. Oh. Yeah, watch for them. Oh, I can't see a thing. Yeah, I know, it's a nightmare. Oh, oh god, look, watch out for the <laughs> Yeah, there's a I didn't actually step in those, but I thought there might be. It's a collection of uh, clown shoes and, and old car horns. I don't know who's left those in here. I know, it's gone weird. Here, it's really a, gone weird. I found a found a torch anyway. Oh really? Let me just, uh, let me just switch it on. Oh, what? hail, what? What? torch. What are you wearing? Oh, this. Ah, this old thing. Well, uh, Dave, you know how I was a... Uh, I always have been a lifelong and committed Rastafarian. Yeah. Well, they, they, I had some people around the house. They were knocking door to door. Um, and I can't quite say it, but I really like what they're about. I think it's Zoroastrianism. Zoroastrianism. Oh, Zoroastrianism. That's it. Yeah, that's it. It's they, quite a niche religion, that one. It is quite niche, but they're they're having a bit of a push at the moment, a bit of a recruitment drive. And I just thought, these guys are great, you know? And they gave me this robe for free, and, and you just worship light. So that torch, basically, is like a saint to me. So, look, I, I don't think Lance and Andrew are here because of the eclipse. I think, uh, I think they've been held up. But yeah. we, All we hell's let loose with that eclipse, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it shows you how much you, you, you need light just to, to do the, the basics. The yeah. basics, like, you know, to get around. Uh, produce podcasts. Open a door, walk you, into a room, yeah, not uh, avoid all the, all the various comedy props that have appeared for some yeah, reason. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, look, so we better, we, better get on with, yeah. we better get on with introducing our, our guest. Okay, well, uh, good luck with that, because uh, this introduction is, uh, well, so far, what have we mentioned? Light, dead cat in a box, veggie burgers, zoanastrianism, and being eight minutes late. We can't record anything else. Producers aren't here. Good luck linking that lot, Dave. Actually, I think I, think I can. Shut up. I think I can, because, well, Gregory Sams is our, is our guest speaker today. And he was recorded in the Bosco tent during the Brighton Festival in 2015. His talk is called Shedding Light on Light. Zoroastrianism was an old uh, religion that, that worshipped the sun as a living 
a uh, living organism as well, a god. I know that. I am one. Obviously. Yeah. And uh, eight minutes late. Uh, well, it, well it's, it, light takes eight minutes to get from the sun to to um to, to planet earth but the light itself doesn't experience any sense of time because it's traveling at the speed of light so it's outside of time and, and, it, and, it, and it felt like no time at all getting get here today even even though it took eight minutes what, what was the other one oh, bloody <laughs> veggie burgers um, yeah now you're in trouble uh oh uh, gregory sams invented the veggie burger in the 1970s that's how he made his money shut the front door that's ridiculous it's true it's true no idea about the dead cat anyway so here is gregory sams with shedding light on light And I'll start with a uh, quote from the, the irascible sage Robert Anton Wilson, author of The Cosmic Trigger, who said, nobody sees the obvious. Nobody observes the ordinary. There are more mysteries in a square yard of earth than there are in all the fables of the church. And light is one of those mysteries. It surrounds us, it powers us, it informs us of the world around us, and yet we hardly give it a second thought. And today we'll be giving it a third or fourth and quite a few more thoughts. And, um, and we'll also be looking at light in its full wavelength, all the, the full bandwidth of light, not just the narrow spectrum that our eyes are able to detect. And I will start with um, reading two paragraphs out of my book, Son of God, which... Uh, introduces us to the oldest concept in, in the, on, on this planet, the idea of a conscious solar entity. There's one chapter which convinces us or you of that, but the rest of it is really the ramifications of that concept. And this chapter is the chapter on light, which is titled, In the Light of Intelligence, on the Intelligence in Light. And it's just two paragraphs from this. So. Light is invisible, yet it allows us to see. Light hurtles through space for years, yet loses none of its energy in the process. Light can be reduced to a single irreducible particle, the photon, yet this particle can appear in two places at once. We must wait eight minutes for the light from the sun to reach this planet. The light itself arrives in no time at all. Light gives substance and form to the vegetable world, yet itself has no physical property or structure. Light is a mystery and becomes ever more so the more that science discovers of its properties. A fundamental energy source of the universe that it saturates, light carries the warmth of the sun and the vibrations of the stars to Earth. Science is able to harness many of the extraordinary qualities of light and to perform amazing feats with it. Yet physicists can tell us little about the nature of light, nor explain how it is able to do the incredible things that it does. Zoroastrianism, the first great and lasting religion, elevated Ahura Mazda, god of light, to the position of supreme deity. The god of Genesis found it necessary to let there be light before it was possible to create anything beyond heaven and a world without form or substance. 
So we will rewind now several thousand years to Zoroaster, who I just mentioned, and another prophet, Akhenaten. Um, Akhenaten, pharaoh of Egypt, 14th century before the current era. Zoroaster, we don't know whether he was 6,000 BCE or 2,000 BCE. And both of these men can claim to have been the first to introduce us to the concept of a single universal deity. And this deity had no statues, no images. It was beyond human comprehension. And the deity was light. Light was the supreme power source, spiritual force of the universe. And both Akhenaten and Zoroaster recognized that our sun was the local agent of this life force. You know, what is light? And the thing we know most about it, the most physical side of it we know, is photosynthesis. This amazing process whereby the, carb the, the hydrogen and the oxygen and H2O and the carbon and CO2 are combined into all the elements of the vegetable world. They're, they're made of carbon, oxygen, and hyd hydrogen. I mean, what can we do with water and air? We make fizzy water out of it. That's about it. Um, when you put the sun in there as an agent, you get, you get sort of carbohydrates, oils, sugars, fiber, trees, you know, the bark of trees, the leaves of trees, flowers, and the entire vegetable world, all the food we eat, is made of carbon, oxygen, and hydrogen with a little bit brought out of the ground. There are a few minerals and things come out of the ground, but it's actually water, air, and sunlight. Photosynthesis means made by light. And it takes place on the land and in the oceans. In the, in the top layers of the oceans, every drop of water has one to th two or three thousand phytoplankton in a single drop of water. These tiny microorganisms that are busy converting sunlight and water into living matter. And they're the complete basis of the oceanic food chain. Everything starts with those phytoplankton. And the total weight of them exceeds that of all the fish, the whales, the dolphins, the seals in the ocean are outweighed by phytoplankton. And they produce half of the oxygen that we breathe, because that's the other byproduct of photosynthesis. It takes the carbon out of CO2, but releases the oxygen, which is why things like worms and us and rabbits and butterflies can live on this planet. I had a match I was going to strike, um, but I will. Why not? Thank you, Kali. There you go. Is this health and safety going to come down on us for this, perhaps? <laughs> so what's, what's happening when I strike this match? This light is captured sunlight. It's energy that's been stored in the tree. It's now being released as light, and the hydrogen and the oxygen is coming out as, as water vapor. And when you have a fire, and you burn it through the night, adding logs to it. That's, that's the same process going on there. And in the morning, you've got the ashes, the cinders. That's what came out of the ground. All the rest of it is sunlight, air, and water. 
And that's the transition going on there between matter and spirit, because light you could view as spirit. It's this invisible energy phenomenon. And that's, it's not, not surprising that every single spiritual tradition on the planet uses candles, because you, it, they provide this connection between the physical and the spiritual world through the flame. They have that quality to them. So now we'll go back to the, uh, that first sentence in the first paragraph of the chapter on light. Which is, light is invisible, yet it allows us to see. So light is invisible. I mean, you, you're looking at me here, but you're actually seeing me. You're not seeing light. The light is invisible, and, and it's, clear, it's clear to not see <laughs> when you look up at the night sky. And it's dark up there, but that darkness is flooded with sunlight. And it's only when it reaches the moon or Jupiter or Venus that we actually see something. It, and then we get, it conveys the image of those to us. But the light itself, it's invisible. Um, but it allows us to see that's, that's a whole other mystery. How do we actually see things? Are you seeing me here and the tent flapping and these other things? Or are you seeing a projection on the back of your eyeball? Which is kind of what we're told, that the light reaches this bit of my, of my let's get some blue here, of my shirt and my shirt absorbs all the wavelengths of light except blue, and that blue bounces back onto your eyeball and you say, aha, that's blue. There's a lot more to it than that. And in fact, if we rewind a bit to Plato, 5th, 6th century BCE, Plato was acknowledged as laying the foundations of Western philosophy and science. He's a great mind. Um, he was a student of... Socrates, Aristotle was his student. And he put forward the emissions theory of light. That light, the light of vision came out of our eyes. And he got this from uh, Empedocles, who died shortly before he was born. Empedocles came up with the trend, emissions theory of light. And he wasn't dumb. He knew that the sun was involved. He knew in the seventh century BCE, that it was dark at night because the earth came between us and the sunlight, which is a very advanced idea. Um, and the emissions theory of light held for 13 centuries after Plato. And we never even consider that. We sort of think this is, is absolute rubbish. But there's quite a lot to it. And of course, we talk about the light coming out of our eyes in our, in our language. We recognize that there's light coming out of our eyes. Um, and you can see whether they're bored or excited, whether they hate you or love you, whether they're depressed or happy. Uh, you, you, and that's not the, the facial expression of the body language, that the light coming out of the eyes expresses those emotions. And we'll come to, there's the Molyneux pro, uh, 
problem. And Molyneux was a scientist in the 17th century whose wife was blind. And he put forward this question. He says, if a man born blind can feel the difference between shapes such as a sphere and a cube, could he, if given the ability to see, but now without recourse to touch, distinguish those objects by sight alone? The answer is no. And people have, it's, it's not common for people who've been congenitally blind to not regain their sight, they never had it, but to acquire the, the vision. And those cases that has, where it has happened, most of them have given up. They, they couldn't get what was going on and they've resorted, gone back to, to touch. Some cases after you know, months or years of struggle, they managed to connect with that little picture on the back of their eyeball. But if they're looking, they, so they can recognize somebody standing in front of them, but if the person walks away, they don't see them walking away, they just see them shrinking down in size as that picture on the back of the eyeball gets smaller and smaller because the, the, the ability to have that light coming out of our eyes connecting with the external light is something that's formed in childhood. It's not, it's not just a picture projected to the back of the eye. Go back to the second sentence of that first paragraph. Light hurdles through space for years, yet loses none of its energy in the process. Well, if you're looking up in the night sky at Sirius, the photons, you've got about a thousand photons a second coming into the back of your eyeball. And they've traveled 51 trillion miles from Sirius for eight and a half years to reach the back of your eyeball. And yet, they don't lose any energy at all in that transit. And they don't stop to refuel on the way or anything like that. How does that go on? Well, the photon wouldn't know what you were talking about because as Einstein has shown us, as you approach the speed of light, time slows down. When you exceed the speed of light, time runs backwards. If any of you see, have seen the movie Interstellar, they make use of that, that in that movie, as have many science fiction writers. But if you travel at the speed of light, time stands still. There is no time, so the photon doesn't know what time is. Everything happens in the now, which is my only little tattoo here um, to remind me of it on a regular basis. So. So the photon would say, well, what's the big deal? You know, I was there, I'm here now. Why should I expend, en expend energy in that process? It, it, was a, it was a snap. Yeah, so now just to you know something really special about light is that um, if you combine the fact that it's out of time with the fact that it's just, it's just a vibration. It's an unlike sound, sounds needs to vibrate in something. It needs to travel in something. Out in deep space, there is no sound because there's no matter there. Um, light doesn't need that. Light is just a vibration. It doesn't need a place to vibrate, and it's outside of time. So if you're wondering what could have existed, if you ever have, before the Big Bang, the only actual candidate is the electromagnetic force or light because 
it doesn't need a place to be. And it's outside of time. And that's an insane concept for us to try and get in our minds. And, and, and as a kid, when I first heard about infinity, I thought, wow, infinity, you know, how could the universe go on forever? But then how could it stop? What's it going to be, a, a cement wall at the end of it? And it was a real you know, great thing to play with as a kid. But now, you know, this is, this is another level. You know, how could there be anything when there was no place to be? Well, the other explanation, of course, is the, the Big Bang Theory. And as, as uh, Rupert Sheldrake puts it, science, you know, cosmologists say, just give me one miracle, give us one miracle, and we'll explain everything else rationally. And that miracle is the singularity where a particle, something that is infinitely, vastly smaller than an atom, suddenly expanded into everything in the universe. All the galaxies and comets and us came out of this tiny little thing, which seems kind of hard to believe. But, but if once you believe that, then they can explain everything else. So they're both hard concepts to, to understand, but you know, maybe you know, energy could theoretically have existed before. So maybe it was a big whoosh instead of a big bang as all this energy condensed into matter. Who knows? So I can't, can't finish without getting into the most famous equation in the world. E equals mc squared. Thank you, Albert Einstein. I mean, I, I'm just I'm floored by this. You know, energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. How did he? Where did he get that from? And then he plotted it out. Plotted out the mathematics to explain it. And of course, when this theory was proven at Hiroshima. Albert Einstein said, I wish I had become a watchmaker instead of a physicist because there's this horrendous destruction done. And at Hiroshima, the amount of energy in the uranium that was actually converted to, to light and explosive force in that explosion was as much as you get in a one penny piece. And now, if we look on the light side of this and the bright side of it, the amount of light that reaches Earth every second, if you converted it on E equals mc squared into matter, you would come up with a little bit less than two kilos of matter's worth of light reaches Earth every second. Doesn't seem like a lot, but if you add that up over uh, the whole day, you end up with 156,000 kilograms worth of light reaching the planet every day. And if you convert that 156,000 kilograms into pennies, you have 42 million pennies. So that's the equivalent of 42 million Hiroshima's worth reaching Earth every day of creative, loving, beautiful energy, not destructive energy coming through. Now, there's a lot more to say about light, um, about the uh, wave versus particle conundrum, about co-entanglement of light with other, with other photons as they know what they're doing at other sides of the galaxy instantly. Um, 
the double slit experiment, but uh, not, not being a photon, my time is running out here, and if now is going to be here any time now. And I, I hope that this lecture has shed some light upon the universe's most brilliant feature, light itself. Thank you. Gregory Sam's there with a talk, Shedding Light on Light. Mm. And, oh, oh, the lights have... Oh, thank... Lights have come thank back on. Thank Zoastroran for that. Yeah, and our producers are... Uh, oh, they're here. producers are here. They must have made it through the eclipse. Do you know, I feel so much better knowing I'm observed. Somehow my behaviour changes now. I feel Does less it? wavy, more particularly. <laughs> in Just a quantum like, theory. In a quantum kind theory. Of way. Well, I was thinking about light... Uh, uh, he doesn't mention in this talk, does he? But uh, my favourite light thing is the uh, the twin slot experiment. Mm -hmm. Do you know that this one? Where they fire single photons of light at two slots, and if they're observed, they behave as you'd expect. They go either through one slot or another. If they're not observed, then... Um, and they know this because they have a photovoltaic sheet behind the slot, so they know where they land. Um, they divide, they, they, and they go through both slots at once. In other words, they behave in a quantum way when not observed, or like a wave. Uh, but when observed, they behave as particles. So they can be in two places at once, but not when observed. So basically, quantum behavior is fundamental to light. And light is fundamental to quantum behavior, which is really freaky. Well, who was it? Who was, who was it? Was it Niels, Niels Bohr who said uh, anyone who professes to understand quantum theory doesn't understand it? <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah. What, I think for me, what was at the heart of that talk that I find really challenging and fascinating is the yeah. idea of, of considering the sun as a, as a living organism. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm I, you know, I, I put my cards on the table. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of some of the Eastern perspectives of, uh, of of the evolution of the universe i'm not you know I, I struggle a bit with the with the sort of scientific materialist idea that um uh, as well as um i think terence mckenna said said that, that the scientific materialist viewpoint yeah says grant us a miracle or two and we'll explain the rest yeah and, and the miracle being you know where did all the stuff come from and where did where did life yes come that's from? right well they go well that's not relevant that's not relevant yeah. well, but, with the fact that we can't explain light or time is not relevant and and, uh, the, <laughs> and and the more you know more and more uh, Eastern, I don't know if it's fair to say Eastern, but I mean, I'm Alan Watts reader and all the rest. And You're so a I, filthy, stinking hippie, basically. <laughs> and Richard Dawkins would come after you. With he the, would with a stick. With a stick. He would, he would. Yeah. But, but this, the, the idea of the universe growing itself, and uh, and yeah. I, I, I don't know, there's something that it just, I, I don't know, it makes me feel comfortable. Maybe that's, that's about, it's about faith, isn't it? It's, well, well, you see, I don't think it, it has to, sense. doesn't have to be about faith, because, because uh, I mean, when you go to the wilder shores of science... Um, obviously, um, the tradition you're talking about we would maybe call it a pseudoscience, or but you've got people like Richard Sheldrake with uh, with Rupert, uh, Rupert Sheldrake, Rupert Sheldrake, which is morphic dissonance. Is that what it is? Morph the, morphic resonance. Oh, yeah, God, I'll get it right eventually. But his idea is that the, the memory is stored, if you like, in a kind of er collective. Like Jung talks about there being a sort of uh, a collective memory. Yeah, and he was he was doing experiments with with, with mice, wasn't he? And if he did, found that mice was set a problem one side of the world. Yeah. And mice the other side of the world suddenly found it easier to solve once their brethren had solved it the other side of the world. And this sort of got a lot of kicking at the time. But recently, biocentrism's come about as well, which is a, which is a less sort of flaky, far edges of science idea that consciousness is stored 
in as far as it can be ascertained in the brain in sort of tubules that's where quantum activity goes on in the brain and that's where they think consciousness happens in us but that that consciousness is is if you like traveling through us we're sort of receivers receptacles for it but that it continues and when we die it doesn't disappear it 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 goes back to this sort of wellspring well of souls if you're an egyptian um but that that we are if you like, we are like nodules of consciousness um in in a continuum of it and when you start thinking like that things like the sun having consciousness doesn't seem quite so crazy because the, the, well know. and also, also scientists have yet to find and they may never find as a consequence uh, where mm. memory is stored in the brain because because i think if you talk, you know talk to people and say to them where do you think memory is in the brain they'll probably say well i think isn't there a part of the brain where memory is stored no we cannot find any single mm. part of the brain where there is more um you know memory activity it, it you know there's some scientific ideas that that well it's sort of stored everywhere or maybe or maybe all around the body but we we can't pinpoint any of it and yeah. and like you say the morphic resonance idea that 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 actually it's outside the body it's a bit of a it's hard to get it's hard for us to get our, our heads around such ideas but then a lot of because quantum our heads are part of it. <laughs> but a lot of quantum theory is 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 like that and yeah. you mentioned rupert sheldrake and yeah. I, I i've just um just about to finish reading his book the science delusion and and i i'm, I'm fascinated by uh, sheldrake uh, the science delusion i like that yeah yeah <laughs> well it, it's it's uh he well he it, I, I think I was drawn to him when I um, I think it's championing the underdog, isn't it? When yeah. I, when I read that his his TED talk had been banned. That's right. And his TED talk was he was giving he was at a TED conference uh, whose theme was challenging the existing paradigms, <laughs> and he gave a talk challenging some of the um, presumptions uh, in in science, and they banned him for being unscientific. And it's a very it's a very scientific talk. The fact that they, that they allowed David Blaine on TED to, to, to claim that he could hold his breath for 14 minutes underwater in, in a sort of pseudoscientific <laughs> right. s- surrounding, you think, well, I think Sheldrake is... Yeah, a trick. He's, Sheldrake, um, yeah, he's, 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 yeah. A, he's an illusionist, and yeah. Sheldrake is a qualified scientist. Yes. Um, so I think we have to be very careful. That well, of course, is the, the argument that Dawkins always puts forward is that but science, science is able to recognise when it's wrong and move on. But of course, the history of science is the history of it not recognising. It's, yeah. it's a huge amounts of resistance to change in its own ranks and people being shunned for many years and their research knocked on and then sort of 50 years later go, oh maybe he was right after all yeah, yeah. i'd say shame he died in shame and obscurity <laughs> but there we are you know i, I can't you know. I, I can't get on with 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 dawkins definition of uh, or description of, of human beings as lumbering robots i find that i find mm. it sort of in, it's it's weirdly insulting um we sort of insult our 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 uh, our, our own intelligence by by reducing ourselves oh, it's to this utterly idea. reductive it's, it's the idea that someone said science can weigh a book it can count the words in it it can tell you how thick it is it can do everything except actually read the words in the book and and feel the the meaning of them <laughs> that, that, that sort of purely but anyway never mind the thing about the sun and light that freaks me out the most when it, thought of this way and, and it being a conscious thing is uh vast amounts of rock that are made are sedentary uh, sedimentary rock um and that's all sort of previous living material mm. that the sun created um and then of course gets so it actually creates vast amounts of man not only does it create living beings effectively it allows them to exist um and therefore consciousness uh, without the sun none of it could happen um uh, it also actually physically creates you know p- parts of the landmass it is an incredibly creative force so in a way but as an agent as, as agency of consciousness it could almost be defined as consciousness it does sort of make sense yeah Do you know what I mean? yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a, the ultimate agent of consciousness well i think yeah to 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 you know to to, to sum up mm. greg's talk it's 
I think it's one of the most forgive forgive the old kind of hippie expression but mm. mind expanding talks that i've um, i've come across in in recent times and That's as a consequence it, blown it, everyone's going to stop listening <laughs> to the auditorium <laughs> so yeah there's some talk of a competition we should we should do we, a need, comp- to, we need to do another competition it's yeah. been a while yeah. i it mean has, obviously they're not gone well have they really there's been a few the digesters one sending in the digesters with your own topping on yeah some of the toppings weren't they weren't uh, right. So what are we going to do? What's the what, what, what's the competition? Uh, well, just something. Well, obviously light related. Um, I know. Why don't we? I know. Mm-hmm. It takes eight minutes for for light to come from the from the sun. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't we see which, if any of our viewers can stare at the sun for eight minutes? Hey, that'd be nice. Yeah. Yeah. What could go wrong with that? Can't think. No, nothing. Literally nothing. Nothing. So nothing. that's good. But we need a prize. Um. Uh, what about a. Cat in a box. Cat in a box. Ooh, and um, we've got some wind chimes. Let's throw in some wind chimes. Um, and we've got this collection of spoons. Clown shoes. Clown shoes and, and, and car horns. We, there's, we've got For, loads yeah. of stuff. But first one in. The first, first one to the write first in. first one to write first in. First person to write in wins. wins uh, actually. All this good stuff. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. Um, so the address. I always have problems remembering the address. It's, uh, it starts with the auditorium. It's the auditorium. Yeah. Uh England, England for tax purposes. England, isn't auditorium it? England that should get to us, shouldn't it? Yeah, that should get to us. Put a stamp on it, obviously. The highest value stamp you can manage. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right, that's us. That's us done for um, done Another. for the day. So let's um, let's just. Uh, oh God, the lights have gone out again. Oh, oh Christ! Okay, so let's. Oh God! Jeez! Oh Christ! Oh. oh! Who put that washboard there? <laughs> What are all these egg whisks doing ah, on the floor? Some rat traps. Oh, ah, God. Coat hangers. Mm. Look at the kazoo here. Look at The Auditorium is presented by Dr. David Bramwell and Mr. David Mountfield. The producers are Lance Dan and Andrew Mayling. You can discover more about the show at oddpodcast.com, where you can find out about upcoming events and festival shows. If you'd like to give a talk about something that you're passionate about, then email us at contact at oddpodcast.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at oddpodcastuk. Talks from the Auditorium are featured in Earnest Journal, a magazine for the curious and adventurous. If you like the Auditorium, then please leave a review for us on iTunes. <laughs>